Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hey everyone, this is Colin Macy O'Toole from Below Deck Mediterranean and you're listening to Jim and Florence on the forum. Hi everyone, this is Jim Jackson. Welcome to the forum. I'm here with my amazing co-host, Florence Carmella. How are you, Florence? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you? I'm doing excellent. We have some amazing guests that we will be coming up. We've been very excited and we we have a couple quick shout outs to do. First of all, we wanted to give a huge shout out to Kathy Ireland, our friend, who today is her birthday. And let's just yes, say she's uh, she's old enough to drink. Let's say that uh, she's a great friend online, and she's really helped and supported us. And we wish you a great, happy birthday, Kathy, for all you do. Also, want to give a huge shout out to all those. Uh, this show is dedicated to all those great people out there that work with our animals, our dogs, our cats, people in farms. Uh, a big shout out to my niece, who's a vet tech in Anaheim. And uh, my sister Janine, who we all love our animals so much. So big shout outs. Mm. And thank you all for supporting our show. It just, it just blows us away all the messages that you give us. It's very humbling that you guys enjoy what we do. You tolerate me and you love Florence. So that's a good thing. <laughs> but uh, we are so appreciative of all that you do. And speaking of appreciation, I think there's a lot of people out there that are very happy I'm very proud of what the work, what work this lady has done, this great doctor, great veterinarian, and her family have done in the animal kingdom. So why don't you introduce our next guest? Yes, I am so excited to have this wonderful woman with us here today. I have been binge-watching her show. I am a, such a huge fan, so I'm very excited to say that we have Dr. Michelle Oakley from the hit TV show, UConn vet on the forum with us today. Hi, Michelle. Hi. What a nice introduction. Thanks, guys. Oh, oh it's it's it's, it's small for what you have done for all people and all. You've been an inspiration to all families uh, with that amazing show that you have with you and your family. All the work that you do for animals. And speaking of the work that you do, we wanted to start right off talking about the tragedy in Australia. With the Australian fires, you were in the front line, and I just wanted to get your input and insight on just the devastation of this fire. And I, I read where up to 600 million to 1 billion animals have been been killed in this fire. That is just unreal. And for some of you that say, well, how big is it? This fire is almost six times bigger than the Amazon fire that's still burning right now. And it is six times as big as the California fires. And we just had the worst fire season in our history. So this fire is just devastating. So Dr. Oakley, why don't you talk about your experiences and all the things that you saw? Yeah, it was, I mean, those numbers, um, you know, they're hard to wrap our minds around. They're not exaggerations. Um, It's, 
it was it was something else. I, I, I have to admit, I don't think I even understood the scale of it until I got over there and we just drove for hours and hours and hours and hours and you saw nothing but scorched earth. And um, that's hard and it's overwhelming, you know, overwhelmingly sad. Um, they say it's the, the largest fires in recorded history ever anywhere, you know. So it's all of those kind of numbers of billions of animals, the largest fires. Um, to be honest, for initially you can feel like paralyzed and what can I do and there's nothing I'm going to be able to do but you know the other side of that is there are that I kept coming that kept coming to mind is there are animals there that still that will have survived and need help so that you know that was kind of a big theme for me while I was there is you know not letting it you know, not, not getting overwhelmed by everything I was seeing and just sure. looking for survivors and you know so that was a big part of what we did you know we I, I went there um, with the help of so many people, never could have went otherwise because just, you know, it was very um, costly to go and travel all over. But because people helped me out with the with the GoFundMe, I was able to bring myself a couple burn experts, um, a couple like wildlife search and rescue experts. And we worked with all local people there to, you know, to do search and rescue, to set up some wildlife triage clinics. And um, we did a lot of good work and I'm still reeling from it. I'm still processing everything, you know, especially with everything else going on in the world. <laughs> but mm. it it was it was worth going, and it's worth it's worth helping. You know, you can't just give up. Now, some of you, we are so appreciative. We've had Emmy Lentino, Emmeline, some of our musical friends and actor <laughs> friends that are in Australia, New Zealand, help and spread mm-hmm. the word. And thank you all to have given to the GoFundMe account. We are going to release that again on Monday. We're going to do a big push all week. And we really, whatever you can give, and some of us are doing okay. Some of us aren't. But if you're doing okay, it's so easy to give on GoFundMe. And this is an amazing thing. This isn't something that she's going to be drinking Cristal with her feet in the, in the Yukon you know, water. This is something that she's using on supplies. Yeah travel and saving animal lives and this is an amazing thing so we're going to be giving that gofundme so keep giving keep sharing your heart and also put a little story out there things that have when you give and donate give a little story about what you feel about the show how you feel about dr oakley and her amazing work and it's just an incredible thing that she's done out there and the devastation of a fire until you've really seen it it, it's it's a it's a crazy thing. So, again, Dr. Oakley, thank you for all that you've done out there. That's some good stuff. Now, yeah, another thanks thing- for letting me share the story, actually, because that's been so fun. Me too. I'm going to be posting a lot more updates. It's like I posted a few to begin with, and a couple in the middle, and then we were working like 16, 18 hour days. And we had a couple of 20 hour days, and so it's like it's been impossible to keep it updated. But now, you know, I guess the there's no good side to being you know, on the self-quarantine for two weeks, but I can at least get all the updates back out there and we're just waiting for the chance to get back out and um, get back over there and help because burn burn care takes months. It's not something is just, you know, right away and you treat it. You know, we've got lots of, of animals in care. Even though we had to leave, we lined out with a lot of locals that are local vets who were fantastic and who were out there also. We were able to support them and we're going to continue to do that with the GoFundMe and, and we will go back and, and help ourselves. So, it's it's been um it's a long process but it's worth doing you know a lot of the um koalas and some of these endangered species we were working with those individuals count you know like their their genetics their their area population you know we were pulling them out of areas where there was no food and then the point is to keep them healthy to treat their burns and then put them back but it's going to take months for the 
for their habitat to recover if it does at all in some areas. So there's a lot to this. It's not just treating animals for burns and then you're done in two weeks. Yeah, I was going to, before we, I get to my next question, I wanted to sneak in. How is the dog that you treated with, I believe it was fish skin on his burns on Archer. his face. Yeah. yeah. How is Archer. he doing? Uh, he's he is um, Archer the Dragon Slayer, we call him, because when we put that <laughs> when we put that fish skin on him, he looked like a dragon slayer. And I have to say that he did slay um, the, the fiery beast. Um, he was, you know, the backstory is Archer was tied to a house that burned to the ground. Um, his family got um, out and and wasn't home. Actually, came back, of course, but the firemen had come to rescue the people and him. Mm-hmm. They cut Archer loose, and he ran away on fire, and no one could catch him. And it was hours before they did get him. They found him down by the ocean, um, probably cooling himself. Um, he was rushed across the pass. I was away. He was rushed to another clinic, which was a seven-hour drive. Um, and the people did that. They almost turned back in a blizzard but made it. Um, he was stabilized for, like, a couple of days there. Then I got back and started his long-term treatment Um and it was that that's in our show uh, in season seven, and it will actually have some of it in season eight because, like I said, burn care takes a while. It's not just one thing sure. or another. And and now, you know, um, I guess I kind of gave away season seven, but but he he is doing well, um, like amazingly well. And you kind of have to see it though to believe it. When you when you see what Archer looked like, he had about fifty percent of his body burned. You know, in, in vet school, we don't learn how to take care of those kinds of burns. It's, it's generally put the animal out of its suffering. And we almost did that. But, you know, the owner was like, well, you know, we were kind of like, I'm sorry you lost everything because their house burned to the ground. They lost absolutely everything, you know, that was like a thing except for Archer. Mm-hmm. And that's what they remind me of. They said, we haven't lost everything. Can you help us? And whew, that's still, to be honest, that still chokes me up. Um <laughs> Like I can't, yeah. I still can't forget their face and what that was like, you know, to to be so torn as a vet, like to do no harm. I didn't want to, you know, put him through any more pain. No. Um, but I was really, really lucky to have a tech, a vet tech who reminded me, what about this person who was helping like bears and the California wildfires and using fish skin? I was like, oh my gosh, right. And so a few phone calls later and I had Dr. Jamie Payton of um, UC Davis who's an absolute angel and, you know, go to her website. It's Jamie Payton, UC Davis. I think it's called like an integrative medicine fund. She is incredible. And she's doing this burn research um, to look at how we can help animals. And fish skin is one of the main techniques. There are quite a few others, but fish skin is a great one. And you put this tilapia skin literally on the animal's burns and it's like instant pain relief. There's something about oh. it that also is anti-inflammatory. It also fights infections, and that's a really common cause of death in the first, you know, few a week or two with burns sure. is infection because your skin's all gone, and so that protects you from infection. And the, for whatever reason, the fish skin is also like antibacterial. So there's, they're learning a lot about it. And anyway, long story short, she came and helped me put the fish skin on, um, on Archer, and and he survived, and he's running around this winter he was like pulling a sleigh and with his family at christmas and i I see him probably once every few weeks and he just looks better each time and he's you know he will always have some scars um but he doesn't know it like he could care less he's so happy whipping around all the time he's very happy high energy dog so (laughs) well that's uh, 
Don't cry on yeah. us yet. We've got a b- long show, so... Uh, no, no, I know. I know. No. I'm about to... down job, so I'm going to keep it together, guys. It is. You can cry. You can... We're a pro-crying uh, show, so you can yeah. cry anytime you want. Uh, yeah. Now, I, we wanted to also give a special, special shout-out to your dad, Steve, I believe, who, who was an inspiration yeah. to animals. We wanted to really yeah. give him a big shout-out because uh, an inspiration to you. Because Why don't you talk about your journey into this uh, realm of being a veterinarian? Was it something that you always wanted to do? Was it just inbred with you with all your relationship with your dad? Explain that to us. Yeah, um... Well, yeah, so I wanted to be a vet since as long as I knew what a vet was. So it was, you know, one of, like many of you kids out there, you know, people out there who, who want to be a vet. And, you know, when you're little, there's, you know, take that serious. Like, uh, you know, I, a lot of my colleagues were like that. And, you know, it's it was something that I was very lucky to have my dad and my mom and my grandma and my brother actually really nurture that. We were a very tight family. Um, my dad was a real softy, as my grandma was too, always feeding stray cats. Um, I was always bringing in animals. We lived on a creek, but in a suburb in Indiana. So it was like, you know, suburban wildlife kind of thing. And I was, you know, bringing in things that need to be rescued, little things that were hit by car. Neighbors would find, you know, little orphan bunny rabbits if the mom got killed and bring it to me. It's like I started doing that from when I was, you know, I can remember seven or eight years old. And, Mm. you know, the... And my parents just supported that. Like my dad was always supportive of that. And his, his, um, his uncle had a dairy farm that I spent a ton of time on. And, you know, my, my uncle was always like, you were the only kid that like actually woke me up in time for milking. You know, I'd be like right by his bed, you know, at four o'clock in the morning. Can we go uncle Frank at the time? You know, it's just, I loved it. So I was lucky to have a lot of different family members that just, you know, were like, yeah, that's what she's going to do. And it just, you know, was, was very supportive. And then a husband who, you know, my husband, Shane has just been, he's an amazing Yukon mountain man. And yet he's so um, supportive of, of all the, you know, things I want to do and our daughters. And he's just, you know, we had, I had two kids in vet school and that's not exactly ideal. And he was stayed home. He's a firefighter seasonally for wildfires. So, you know, there's a link there too to the fires. And um, we were lucky that at that time he, you know, he wasn't, he, his season was not covering a lot of the winter so he could stay home doing during the school year. So, you know, that becoming a vet was, was, I had so many people supporting me and I just really appreciate that, but it was definitely something from day one I knew I wanted to do. And the other side of it is that, you know, even though I wasn't around a lot of different wildlife, except for what was there in Indiana, um, you know, I had TV and, and inspiring shows and inspiring women to watch. And like Nat Geo was a big part of that. So it's kind of, thrilling now to be, you know, getting emails from kids that say, you know, I watched you on that geo wild, you know, and, and I want to be a vet and I want to do that. It's like, Oh man, you know, that means a lot because I grew up watching Jane Goodall and, you know, oh, yeah. chimpanzee. I mean, mm-hmm. that was my thing. Like I never missed it. I was always watching, I watched her, you know, some of her specials over and over. And it's like that, you know, I was like, I'm going to do that. And I got to meet Jane Goodall. My mom, you know, took wow. me, when I was 11 years old to Lincoln Park Zoo, she was doing a book wow. and, I was, and I was like, told her about it. And she's like, we're going. And she just took me and we watched it. I got to walk up and shake her hand and tell her I wanted to do what she did. And you know, that those things are so important for kids to um, let them follow those, those dreams and see where they take them. Now, speaking of your family, 
the show UConn Vet, which, like I said, I have been binge watching. I'm so excited. Season eight starts Saturday. Yes. I cannot yes. wait. Um, but your show is for families, but it's about family. It's, it's a show that's yeah. perfect for all generations, all ages. And I was wondering, mm. going back to the very beginning, how did that all start? How, how did you come about um, doing this on television, doing your life's work and bringing your family along and doing this for National Geo Wild? Um, yeah, it's definitely a show um, about our family work, and it's definitely a family show. We wouldn't have kept doing it if it wasn't that way. And, again, I'm just so lucky that it was Nat Geo, and I honestly don't think I would have went with anybody else at the time because there was, you know, a lot of question about reality TV and this is more docu reality, but it, you know, there's not made up things, nothing scripted. Um, but still, you know, you have to be, I was very worried about what, you know, how my clients and my friends and family and my own immediate family would look, you know, or feel about being on TV. So that was, that was huge. In fact, in the first season, I was so nervous and so worried. I, I think I lost like 15 pounds. I just couldn't eat. Wow. Like I was so stressed. I know. Mm-hmm. Like, by the end of the season, they're like, you need to eat. Like, you know, but it was also like trying to do the show. And then um, some people, you know, they the show was new. And they're, you know, these are people that are not used to TV and media. And they were just like, I don't want to be on the show. And it's like, that's okay. But I'm the only vet. So I still have to do vet work. So I do the film the show for 10 to 12 hours. And then I do calls and vet work for another three to four hours of people who didn't want to be on the show. So a lot of people have changed and come around. They've seen that the episodes are not going to, you know, they're, they're honest. They're not, you know, going to be yeah. sensational. And they're very family friendly. So fortunately, that that's cut back quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it evolved, I guess, because I was, um, I started out, you know, I graduated from vet school, I was I had been working as a wildlife um, technician, actually, for Yukon government before and during vet school. And then when I, um, when I graduated, they had a lot of projects already kind of like, let's do this and that. And so um, really within six months of graduating, I was working for a clinic to kind of get my basic skills down. But then I started working for Yukon government as a wildlife veterinarian and a wildlife and a, and a wildlife biologist as well. I kind of had a dual job. So, so that went on um, for about eight or nine years. I mean, that was my job was to be the wildlife vet and biologist for this, this large territory in Canada, but it was a ton of field work. It was a amazing work with moose and bears and caribou and wolverine and lynx. You know, it was, it was uh-huh. an awesome job that way but I have to admit I really miss like the clinical it's not as clinical like day-to-day caring for patients and I miss you know working with people helping people with their animals um and I also miss my family like I couldn't have my kids out with me in these massively at that age especially because they were younger I couldn't you know I was flying hours away and going by helicopter everywhere and you know it's just it's not practical and so um I just decided to take a step back, which was hard to do to leave a really good government job with young kids, but it just wasn't where my heart was. And my husband supported me and said, you know, do what you got to do. And so I stepped back and started doing a mixed mobile practice to service a lot of the communities around here that don't have veterinarians. Um, And I was still doing a lot of wildlife work on, you know, contracts for different parts of the world. You know, I was actually doing work in Sri Lanka, doing work across Canada um, and Alaska for the wildlife side, but, you know, like my bigger, focus at that time was more the clinical practice and then that then that geo showed up and 
at first I was like, oh, I'm just too busy, you know, and they were kind of like, do you want to do a show? And, and it was just more like one show. Do you want to do a, a special kind of thing? I was like, well, you know, different people sent me the email that they were looking for someone and they're like, you should do this. And it was just like, I, all I could do was keep my head above water at that point, you know? And I was like, nah. And then about six months later, um, they asked again. And then it was like, okay, you know, the reality of doing all this work in remote areas is it's not, that high paying it's definitely <laughs> a, a labor of love and um it yeah. is difficult financially so at that point i was like okay we'll film for food and uh <laughs> you know if you can, can kind of you know help me out and it's been a great relationship that way i mean working with nat geo you know it, it helps me be able to afford taking care of a lot of patients that i couldn't otherwise thank goodness and you know, it's helped me get equipment as well and, and provide a level of care and medicine for my patients that we could never afford in these remote areas. So that I'm just so thankful for that too. You know, it, I guess it, if it's changed, if it's not reality in any way, it's maybe that way is that they've helped where I could, you know, I still have to work for this stuff, but I at least can get, you know, things like x-ray and things like that where I can help my patients. And that, that is awesome because I just, you know, it's it's just so much easier to do a good job helping patients when you have that kind of technology. And it's technology that now we can take into the field, which is also incredible. You know, I can ultrasound on the field. I can take it in a helicopter. I can, sure. you know, there's so many, so much technology now that I can just take out into the remote, you know, Yukon, Alaska bush and, and still help animals that way. I think it's great, too, because I'll be really honest, a lot of people have said, and I've complained, too, about some of the, especially U.S. Uh, vets, and we don't want to throw them in the room you know, throw them in the, in the fire. But I think what I love about Dr. Oakley and other doctors is that they give a lot of money. They, they're not greedy. They're giving a lot of their time. They're giving a lot. And some of the profits that they get, they use to help the animals. So that's why I want to give, you know, someone like this is so special. And that's why support her GoFundMe page, which we'll do tomorrow. Uh, make sure that you give to all of her things because this is someone that uses the money for, for good causes. And yeah. this is something that you don't see with all veterinarians. And I'm going to be very honest with you. So I, I'm, I'm really excited. Now we talked about uh, also your career. Are there any television vets that Steve Irwin, are there anybody that really kind of uh, touched you. Uh, I know Johnny Carson and David Letterman had a lot of veterinarians that they were very much into and a lot of researchers, animal researchers that became very popular. Were there any TV vets that you really liked? Uh, you know, there there weren't a lot of TV vets that I was watching growing up that I remember. I mean, Jack Hanna was one that I still love to yeah. watch. I Great still Jack love, Hanna. Like, fangirl over yeah. Jack Hanna. But um, you know, he's not a vet. He's a director of zoos, but he has like a lot of wildlife experience. Yeah. That, um, you know, but it was it was really more. I think honestly, it was like Jane Goodall that I resonated with. It was you know a woman going out into the you know these remote areas into countries to fight for you know to understand to learn about these animals to protect them and then fight for them. And I think that's you know just really resonated with me. And you know I may not be doing just strictly wildlife work in a lot of senses but it it's still about fighting for what you care about in your heart for animals for that can't speak up to themselves and for you know finding ways you know when you're being told there's a billion animals dead in the australian bushfires it's like i don't care it's what about the thousands that are still alive and need help so it's and that i think that's true for all of us is watching you know seeing what's going on and not being 
letting ourselves get paralyzed by what we see and overwhelmed and not feeling like there's anything we can do. Like there are things we can all do. And so you know, I really hope that our show shares a little bit of that. I'm really excited about, um, so while I was in Australia, um, I was there, I guess, six weeks. Um, Nat Geo ended up coming towards the end of when I was there for the last like kind of week. And they, they asked if I was, could, could they come and film some of it? And I said, well, if it's okay with um, the people I'm working with who agreed. So they actually did oh, cover cool. a little bit of this. I know. So, so oh, they're good. putting together a special to do. So um, oh, I'm really thankful because I was trying to take pictures and trying to document. And there's just no way. Like with no, the sure. hours and mm-hmm. how we were working, it it was impossible. And so they sent a very small crew, like I said, like towards the end of when we were there. Um and that crew was awesome in terms of, you know, just kind of fitting in with us, traveling with us. They got what they needed, and they um, and they were even volunteering and helping, which is so, I mean, that's just exactly how all the Nat Geo crews have been that I've worked with. Like, we have kind of one core crew that's with us for most of, of the years, and they've become like family, you know, like our sound guy, Rob, and, you know, our different DPs. We've had this guy, Dallas, and our different, you know, editors, Dana, it's just like these people, um, Amber, our main direct field director, it's like, we've had so many of these people become part of our family because they travel everywhere with us. And I've seen director of photography, he'll be like, you know, filming and I'm talking to a client and he's so invested. There's like a tear going down his cheek, you know, and I'm like, ah, oh, like they're so into it. And they, when they're, when they put the camera down, they are, they jump in and start helping, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's exactly how it was in Australia is, is and in fact, one of the people, um, from our Australia crew, Annabelle was so inspired that she's got her wildlife care license. She's working on it. Wow. She's going back down to volunteer. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. Like, you know, a lot of the people that, that we work with are, are in it for the animals too. So that was, that was pretty special. Yeah. We, we also wanted something that really is bothering me. We're seeing a really rise in animal abuse, especially in the United States, especially with young people. And it's, it's just, it's vile. We've had a lot of situations where I know white, I know a doctor who I'm in the medical field. I had a respiratory care business and cardiopulmonary lab, and we had a deal with a doctor and I found out he abandoned a dog. So I went to his house and ripped up the contract and I said you could sue me but I will never do business with you because I was so incensed and we've seen a lot of white collar workers get dogs as props and you know and and it just it drives me nuts why don't you kind of inspire people to get people to to you know as the big thing says don't shop adopt Uh, talk about animal abuse a little bit and just kind of what people get when they get an animal from a shelter or a a SBCA or someone because you don't get an animal you get a friend and they're and yeah I mean you get a unconditional love right I would go one step beyond and you get a family member you know so it's you have to think of it that way it's it's a it's a lifelong commitment for that animal I mean their whole life their hands and you know, a lot of them, especially when you're adopting from different places, they've had a tough go. And so it's, you know, preparing for that, being patient with them as they adopt, you know, adapt to a new friendly home. And yeah, I mean, we've, we've definitely um, seen horrible, awful things, you know, and, but again, it's, you know, sort of working with people, finding ways to, you know, get, get the animals into safer spaces. Um, You know, a a lot of some of the wildlife places where we've gone to, I feel like have, you know, most of the big ones are fantastic. And, but I've been really happy to work with some of the smaller places because they 
are trying to do their best but really need some support. And I would I would encourage people to, you know, to think about that too, is going about it in a way where you can get um, compliance and you can get buy-in is how can I help you? Can I help you with that? And I just remember like even my, my parents and grandma doing that, you know, it's like, well, if you're not able to take care of it, can I help you with that? And with some of the wildlife places, I mean, that's what I'm getting at is, it's, you know, it's, it's not me going in there and saying, you know, that's it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to help you. You need to be turned in because sometimes those routes, they might be a good way, but they also may not work and everything shuts down. And so it's really about relationships, supporting the people, giving them good examples on how to improve the care. And um, that's, that's really um, like my kind of core way to go at some of this. Uh, certainly eventually, and when people know better and when, you know what I mean, when there's different situations like you described, you know, with the doctor who abandons their dog. I mean, that's, that's different. But when you have people who are, who are trying or maybe who haven't, you know, don't have the right setup, who got it themselves into a situation that they can't really help the animal as they'd like, it's, it's more about um, than helping them out of it or helping them improve what they're doing. So um, that's, that's definitely a part of what we do and um, all the time with either wildlife or pets. You know, compliance sure. as a veterinarian, what, they, what we call compliance is critical to getting the, the, the good medicine for that animal into the animal, the treatment for the animal into the animal. I, I, when, I, when someone comes into my office and they have a dog or I go to their home or their farm or whatever, I can talk to them blue in the face. And if we don't have a good relationship and if they don't understand why I think it's important, if, they don't, if I don't get them to buy in, I'm never going to help an animal. So I think that's really important for all you kids and people who want to get into veterinary medicine or animal care. I hear a lot of people say, oh, well, I, I have to be a vet because I can't stand people or I can't work with people, you know. We, we all feel like that sometimes. Like, yeah. I, I'm not going to lie, you know, I've been there. But get, you won't help animals that way. You, you really do have to go through, even if you're a zoo vet, you have to work with the keepers who care for the animals who are sort of like their family. You know, you have to... Um, you, you have to work with the people. I hate the term owner, but, you know, like the family, people who, who look after that, that dog or cat or bird or whatever, you, it, it, you know, they're the ones who, who need to be the converted, and, and you have to make the compliance easy. That's another hard thing is adapting treatments. You know, for animals are all fussy. They don't like the taste of that. They don't want to do that. You know, and you, as yeah. a vet, you have to take that serious. You know, that's important. <clears throat> that's not just whatever, just figure it out. You have to, you know, work with them to find a way to get the treatment to the animal. Now, you've dedicated your life to animals. You, you've done so much. I imagine you have some amazing stories of animal rescues and of people taking in animals and, and doing that type of thing. Can you share some of that with us? I mean, you must, you must have seen some really heartbreaking things and then ended up having a great happy ending. Yeah, uh, you know, there's so much there's so much hope and good news in in what I've seen and and in our what, what you see on the show too, but it's that's really um what this is about for me is yeah, there are some sad things. Yeah, it's a roller coaster, but it's you know, it's 90% good and hope and people who are wanting to do good things and like we you know, one that jumps to mind is when we were in Australia, we worked with um, a woman named Rosemary Austin who runs uh, the Possumwood, uh, it's called Possumwood Wildlife Trust, I think. And so she rescues anything in this area in New South Wales. And um, Rosemary's actually a human physician. And so she works, you know, in, in town several days a week and then her home is dedicated to animal rescue. So that was pretty cool to see that. She's a lot of kangaroos, a lot of 
um, animals that I honestly didn't even hardly remember what they were. I was like reaching back to like zoology in my undergrad years, <laughs> trying to remember what the heck, what the heck an echidna was, you know, which is kind of like a spiny anteater, looks sort of like a, you know, an, a down under version of a porcupine. But, but, but Rosemary was incredible. She was, you know, taking in lots of orphaned um, kangaroos then, and she had the sanctuary going. Then when the fires hit, all of these animals came pouring in where people were finding that were, you know, burned feet that were running away. A lot of the the moms, like the kangaroo moms or even the koala moms or whatever, like wombats, their babies are in pouches. So the mom might not make it and might have been burned, but the baby actually was protected and survived, which is heartbreaking, wow. but it's also, it's also awesome. And I know that's hard to hear, but there's sure. hope there. There's a baby in a pouch that can be raised, and these animals actually do really well in captivity, and they actually do really well reverting back to wild release, which is very lucky because not all species um, do that well that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but with rosemary, uh, one one particular animal that was just incredible was was a male adult kangaroo. So his name was Kenny, and she actually rec- um, rescued him as a joey. His mom was hit by a car. He was he was had some trauma, but he was protected again in the pouch. So she raised him from a tiny velvety baby, where he like still should have been in a pouch. So she had to carry him around a little pillowcase pouch and give them oh. bottles multiple times a day. And they, oh my God, those pinkies are so ugly. They're cute. Like literally they look like, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain them. They look like they're not done. They're not done cooking. But but they're really cute. So she, she raised Kenny, I think it was five years ago. Um, he was released. It takes almost a year to raise them or a little bit longer sometimes than some animals to release them back to a mob, which is a group of kangaroos in the wild. So he was released back to his mob. Um, in an area at another sanctuary where the animals were wild and could come and go, um, but were, had, you know, there was someone keeping an eye on them kind of thing. Um, then when the fires hit, um, I guess everyone probably heard about the tragedy with the fire, um, the, with the U.S., um, with the U.S. firefighters that crashed. There were three uh, firefighters that crashed. And, sure. Um, when they're yeah, so that was actually where we were working. That's in an area called. Oh Kuma. man. Yeah, so we yeah. were on that property doing mm-hmm. search and rescue, um, and that's where Kenny's from, actually. So that plane was trying to put out the fires around this sanctuary, and so they, you know, it's just it's just the whole thing is is awful, but you got to keep going, you know. But anyway, um, Kenny was rescued from that fire. Um, he was brought into care. A bunch of them came back to Rosemary and she recognized them and he recognized her. And I'm telling you, it was incredible. So years later, he's totally friendly with her. He's looking at us like he's going to tear us apart because male kangaroos are very aggressive. They are very strong. (laughs) They're seven, they're seven feet tall. You know, they, they rise up and they are taller than you and they're sitting back on their tail so they can lift up their hind feet and slam you, you know, so you, they're dangerous. And so, Kenny, you know, we had all had to be super careful around Kenny because he was in a back area, you know, being cared for and, and his feet were burned. So we're bandaging him like every, you know, five days or so. Um, and we had to go in there to medicate the other animals. And so for a while, Kenny was okay with it, like, because he was just medicated and, you know what I mean? Not to, but as sure. he, the only one that could go in there with him really was Rosemary. And she would go up and scratch him and he would put his head on her shoulder. It was, it was amazing to see, actually. And so he would, you know, put his arms around her and we'd be like, Oh my God, you know, he's going to scratch her because they will do that and then scratch. And he was just like happy to have the the love from her. 
And so through the whole time I was there, we got Kenny back so that, you know, his burns were, were healing very nicely. Um, he came after one of my um, technicians, and that was the last straw. <laughs> we had, like, okay, he's feeling good enough to go. His burns are, you know, 95% healed on his feet. He was getting around really well. So we released Kenny, and then for Rosemary to see him go, it was, again, like kind of a bittersweet thing. But it was a pretty cool rescue story that she rescued him twice. And just everything around it, it's just kind of unbelievable coincidences and things, but it's, it's how it is, you know, it's that's just amazing. good karma around animal rescue, you know? <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Those are me. And that's what kind of touched me is when you see wild animals that are very badly injured and burned and they're walking up to humans, which we normally would never do oh, yeah. asking right. for help. Right. And I'm thinking that is the point of desperation and, to yeah. see to see the relationships and then to see them do well it's just an amazing and inspiring story and you've lived yeah. such a great life and you're still young so you got a lot more to to do and to to go but <laughs> it it just must must be exciting that you could do something on television that is wholesome families could watch is inspiring yeah. it must really make you make you warm inside to know that your family is a part of this Nat Geo, shout out to you. And you're just doing so much good. It just really m must make you feel good. Thanks. Yeah, it's been it's been an awesome journey. Um, I feel like, honestly, Australia kind of, you know, pun intended, kind of lit a fire in me a bit to do more of this kind of thing, more of the, you know, mm. animal rescue disaster work. I'd, you know, been trained the year before in burn care, so I felt I could offer that. Um, but also having the Nat Geo plan platform and being able to raise money and then be very careful about how that money is then used um, to, to help with animal rescue. So we've decided to start a nonprofit. We're actually going to roll the GoFundMe into a nonprofit for All animal right. rescue. I know. Wow. So that's that's awesome. super exciting. And it's kind of always been building, but it's now it's there. So it's going to be tough. Like it's already been difficult to be away and my patients are left behind. And so I'm going to be working with other like interns and young vets in terms of trying to get coverage while I'm away. I mean, it's, can't do everything yourself so it's it's gonna be you know definitely me out in the field for a while but then finding ways and, and the other thing is my oldest daughter sierra i mean i was just gonna oh say man, blew me away like she's 22 she's she finished you know under her undergrad biology degree she's trying to decide if she wants to apply to vet school she's very interested in law and like ethics and things around how to you know take care of animals from a legal standpoint which is so awesome or environmental type law so she's so amazing. That would be a, an amazing path for her, too, whatever her passion ends up being. So she's not going to apply to vet school, you know, now for sure because she's not sure what she wants to do. So she spent um, three weeks in Australia with me helping out and was trying to get back. We were, she was trying to get back when the, um, the COVID hit and she had to come reroute after a few days and come back home, unfortunately. So now we're all together in quarantine. <laughs> but with her, um, with her, uh, her interest, it was just – fantastic to see how she just stepped up like these other rescuers were turning to her and taking her out and we were split up on many different rescues where I was like oh god is she okay and we come back and they're like she was awesome she was using a thermal camera and finding this and showing <laughs> us this and she was and I was like that's my girl you know it was just uh it was just awesome to hear and then to see her in the, the wildlife triage clinics we set up she was you know getting in IVs getting people and all of a sudden it actually came to me that we we have, a, even though we're from a totally different country, totally different animals, totally different climate, 
our experience is really valid in these situations because we have to go and set up remote clinics all the time. And that is what a lot of this disaster medicine is about. It's going and finding local people, local supplies, organizing a a wildlife triage clinic or triage clinic for pets too in these remote areas. And that, that does take a really different mindset than a regular clinic in a city and a different, you know, so, and it is, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow. And that's kind of also what was sort of leading this nonprofit too. It's like, we know how to do this. We know how to organize local people and involve them to find, so they can keep it going when you go, you know, it's all about capacity building locally to keep that, you know, effort going. Um, We know how to like get these supplies or make do with this or that. So um, that was a cool part about watching Sierra with her skills organized and set up clinics. And then when we left, they're like, how are we going to set up this next clinic without Sierra? And it was great to hear that they were, they, they were like, you can go Dr. Oakley, but leave Sierra. <laughs> so that was cool. Sierra, there, Sierra, there's too many lawyers. Be a vet. We need you out there. So Shout we need you. Shout out to Sierra. Yeah. We need more vets like your mom. So <laughs> dump the law stuff. Uh, but anyway. Uh, we, no. <laughs> Such an amazing woman. Such an amazing she girl. Is. We are so happy. And you, and like I said, uh, Dr. Oakley, Michelle, we don't have guests. We have friends. We are going to promote you. Thanks, We're going to promote this cause. The millions of people that are we are graciously allowed to touch every week. We are going to spread the word. We have some really loving celebrities that have a lot of animal love for them, and I know they would help yeah. out. So we're going to be uh, spreading the word about the GoFundMe page and also yeah. her nonprofit because I think that is an amazing idea, and we never, ever, ever want her to worry about money. So let's get in there Aww. and really, really tough it out and uh, – and some of us are, like I said, some people are doing pretty good. Uh, dump a couple Starbucks uh, uh, trips and, and make sure that you give it to a cause like this for people that are really making a difference in the world in the animal kingdom. Thank you so much. We're very humbled that you'd be on our show. And we thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. No yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for letting me share this, these stories and the work. And thanks, everybody out there for supporting us. Like, we literally couldn't have done it without you. We had multiple support, you know, all the individuals that were giving $5, $20, like all these kids were raising money at birthday parties. I'm telling you that that was so scary to me at first. I was like, oh, my God, I have to do such good work. There was like this huge pressure, but it was also really inspiring and motivating for me. So I can't thank you all enough. Oh, great. And we thank you all for listening to us. And again, please support her. Please follow her. You know how I am about endorsements. I am not into corporations. I'm not into all this nonsense that people (laughs) waste money. I'm into giving money to people. And so is Florence into people that make a difference and that we really believe this. When we endorse someone, you can trust it 100%. Thank you so much. We take care, everyone. Hang in there. Have fun indoors with your family and have a great week. 